Welcome to Continuing the Conversation podcast, an expression of FOS. FOS is a community creating space for everyone to find hope, beauty, and purpose in the story of Jesus. Continuing the Conversation is one of the ways that we're trying to create space for an expanded dialogue and interactions based on the conversations we're having at FOS. We want to be able to open up today a little different. We want to be able to pray and to step into this moment. So joining in with church tradition, we want to say, come Holy Spirit, come. As we try to step into this time where we hold space at Levi's table, where we imagine what it is to join Jesus as a guest, to where we sit in space we do not control, in order to imagine a repentance that doesn't look the way we thought it would. It draws us towards people, not away, and allows us to ask the question, what could this table mean and how could we embody Christ here today? Amen. So a few weeks back, as we stepped into this series called Setting the Table, uh, a quote from David Fitch kind of came up in the, the conversation part of the message that we did. And the quote was this, we live in a world that hungers for Eucharist, the sweet fellowship people experience in the presence of Christ. There are countless places where people gather to seek Eucharist, and yet it, remain, yet it remains unfulfilled. We must seek out these places and go as guests. And this, this, this quote, I think, is a great way for us to lean into this, this, this message that we're coming with today, this conversation that we're having today. And so, Glenn, man, why, why don't you just um, give us a little bit of an introduction into David Fitch's half circle idea and where we're going today? With Dave, David Fitch's movements through, we moved from the close circle that we get to have committed believers that all share space, that have some shared assumptions, some shared moments, to the dotted circle, to where we're moving into space that we don't always control, we don't always agree, but we have some familiarity, to the half, to where we're flowing a little bit farther out, to spaces we don't control, but we enter in through invitation, to where we are invited into the other space, which is why as we sit into Luke 5 and we get to see Jesus respond to the invitation of Levi, which is a reciprocal response from Jesus saying, follow me, which was an invitation into the synagogue or the temple. It was an invitation to walk with, to be with Jesus. And Levi then said, then come into my space. And that is where we get to see Jesus, not just accepting, but honoring, not just honoring, but publicly recognizing Levi as friend. And this is the, the space we're stepping into, where we get to go out, expand, and accept the hospitality of the people outside of us. Yeah, so let's jump into the first question. When Jesus accepts Levi's invitation to the table, a mutual reconciliation takes place. How does being present and holding space with others help move us towards repentance and reconciliation? Well, I'm actually curious, when you say that there's a mutual um, reconciliation here. What movements are you seeing? Because most of the time when we step into the Gospels, um, we generally think of people being reconciled to Christ and to Jesus' people, not mutual to where Jesus is being reconciled towards humanity. Mm. Well, I think like there's this concept that, and I can't remember where I, where I pulled it from exactly, but it's something that I've always understood the way that 
uh, conversion in a sense works, right? Like anytime that we step into a conversation, we have to be open to the possibility of mutual conversion. There's and 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 the mutual conversion isn't like, man, I accepted somebody else's religion or something like that. But like, what are the changes that are taking place in me? and in that other person in light of the interaction that is taking place. And so in this story, you have a, a, a marked change that even the Pharisees notice. It's like, wow, Jesus is hanging out with these people, right? And so there's 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 a conversion in a sense um, to another way of being that we see take place, at least for Jesus's disciples that he's leading them into. And also for Levi, where he's, he's becoming one of Jesus's disciples at this table together. When terms start being brought in like sinner, which is one that we have a pretty defined um, world around. Because remember, words bring in worlds by which we define the things we experience. That's pretty defined for us. But in Luke, this is the first time it's brought in about Jesus. You have just before this where it happens with Peter self-identifying. But in this one, everyone else looks and says, why are you eating? And it says that they're grumbling and they're complaining. So it really shows that Jesus was willing to be affected in such a way that he would gamble his reputation. He would actually go into places that this is my favorite part about Jesus in Luke. He goes into places to where the comfortable are actually challenged because the comfortable, the Pharisees and the scribes who expected Jesus to come for them were fine as long as the tax collectors and sinners are kept in their place. But as soon as Jesus actually is affected by the imitation of Matthew, to come into the party that Matthew throws and says, I will just be seen publicly. And in this time that actually showed solidarity, that showed recognition, that showed that you honored the person in front of you uh, and be at your table to where you're setting the rules. It's your friends, it's your boundaries. Hospitality is defined by the household you're in. And so Jesus comes in that way to be affected, have his reputation affected and his potential to speak to those in power affected by who he was willing to associate with. Like to me that um, actually brings a lot of just the way I was trained to be, to hold scripture and to be Christian, uh, brings a lot of it under review, I would say, it makes it suspect because I always told actually to honor Jesus, I must never be like Jesus because to honor Jesus, I must have the best reputation. What does that look like? not doing what Jesus did because he hung around with the wrong kind of people that ruined your reputation. It's interesting because I think even with the best intentions in the tradition that we grew up in, um, that idea of being beyond reproach, right? Taking that out of uh, First Timothy and, and Titus and that, that language of being beyond reproach. Uh, I find it interesting that in, in, in both of those places, it it, it brings it back around to your reputation with those outside of the church, outside of the religious community, outside of those who would call themselves God's people, followers of Jesus, whatever language you want to put there, you know what I mean? Um, so that above reproach is is connected in the, in the church or in the body of Christ, but it's also this thing that says the people outside would also feel comfortable with you in their presence, right? Like you can't, you, you know what I mean? And so I think that the tradition that we grew up in uh, in an attempt to try to keep, you know, try to keep people behaving properly and, and acting right, uh, said, we're going to follow the first part of that. You're going to have, you need to have a good reputation with Christian people, but your reputation with the world doesn't actually matter. And I think what Jesus does in this, in this interaction, in this, in this interplay with Levi is he says, my reputation in the church, or obviously this is not the church, but my reputation with the religious folks 
can be damaged because my reputation in the world is that much more important because as he says at the end of it um i didn't come for i didn't come for the righteous people like i came for the sinners i didn't come for the for the people who think they're healthy that don't need a doctor i came for those who actually would self-identify as something needs to change i i like what you're, you're putting there for the sake of um we become because we're so used to our tradition being seen as an important and big entity in North American culture, because we're so accustomed to those in power saying, you're actually helpful to us as opposed to a threat. We now think that the worst people that we can upset would be other religious folk who are comfortable in these systems. And most of us, most of us would be like, oh no, I'm never that way. Like I'm, I'm edgy, I accept people for where they are, but we don't realize that we're always blind to the things that actually hit us. Like the Pharisees and the scribes are doing the right thing. These people were suspect. So when Jesus did this, Jesus was doing the wrong thing. And that's why when it comes to him saying, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for the sinners for repentance. This wasn't about a disembodied heaven you're going to. This wasn't a spiritualized existence that you could just recount. You know what? 25 years ago, Jesus came into my life. So hallelujah, praise the Lord. Like, well, what's the 25 years been like? Who cares? I'm waiting for heaven. Yeah. It showed that salvation, that reconciliation, that Jesus' path to say, I trust Jesus, so I'll be present at this table, is a very this world embodied existence with those who the comfortable, the right, the um, quote unquote holy group that's anticipating well the angry God to come would be upset with and in this we see reconciliation is calling the pharisees and scribes to also be guests at levi's table it wouldn't have cleaned up levi to make him acceptable for the scribes it would actually dirty up the pharisees and scribes to make sure that he could be comfortable at the party of, of the tax collector yeah no, that's good man um I, I and i can't remember exactly what passage is found in right but like because li like later in I think it's later in Luke, but I, I it could be Matthew's gospel as well. Um, the Pharisees go as far as to say, like not only is he hanging out with the wrong people, but he himself now is a is a is a drunkard and a glutton and a sinner, right? Like his his identif his his identification with those who have been marginalized and disenfranchised from the religious community um, is is so in step that they can't see him as a religious, as, as a faithful member of the religious community anymore. He's one of those people now, right? And I find that really interesting that Jesus's faithfulness is seen not in his commitment to make sure his reputation is good and sturdy and strong and going on well with those in the religious community, but that his his, his, his reputation is, is, is strong, firm and committed to those who have been marginalized and disenfranchised from, um, the, the the wider body of of believers and i really like what you're playing with there for the sake that when we think of reconciliation especially within a religious context we often talk about being reconciled to god and what does that look like being more separate from other humans we think about being more pure more untouched to where we can be almost alone with god but when jesus says repent and trust what i'm doing it's actually requiring god to be reconciled with humanity by having the holy and the unholy, the tax collector and the scribes come together. It's, it's creating like a center mass that says that reconciliation looks like bringing all of these points in. 
Yeah. And it doesn't even ask them to change because, well, most of our um, New Testament comes because we had a Pharisee coming to Christianity with Paul. So linked through Paul, it's like two thirds of the New Testament. So it's not like one is having to not be themselves to come in, but your presence has to look like reconciliation to the other people present at the table. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's really cool because like talk about Paul, like, you know, like one of, one of my favorite passages comes out of, uh, you know, second Corinthians uh, chapter five, where it talks about, you know, like God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And I think, we, as, as you said, we've taken reconciliation to mean, well, I need to make sure that people understand that they're sinners and need to be reconciled to God. But I would actually push and say that when we read that passage and we talk about and we see actually what the interplay that's happening there is there's a mutual reconciliation that takes place because God is also rec like let people know that God is also desiring to be reconciled to creation. God is also desiring to be reconciled to, to all things. Right. Like there's 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 that mutual interplay that's happening there. And I think that for me at least, is the fundamental uh, understanding that I have of, of what Christianity means and what it's about, is that if we're meant to be ministers of reconciliation, um, then we have to find ways, not just for, for us to be reconciled to God, but how do we also then reconcile ourselves to community, um, especially if that's the, way, the number one way that we experience God in an incarnational way. Like even like we use the language of body of Christ to, to reference the body of believers is, and we do that because there's this in, idea of incarnational presence that we experience God through one another. Mm. And what, what I really like in that is that experiencing God through one another. So when, when we see these moments, it's um, Jesus didn't bring in the conversation center because uh, mm -hmm. often I've heard people like wrestling with how Jesus sat at this table and they're like, yeah, but he still called a sinner a sinner. Like, well, no, he didn't. It just, they use pejorative terms in order to identify Jesus's table mates. Yeah. They use um, marginalizing, outing, othering terms to say, Jesus, you should not be with Levi. And it's supposed to shame him to bring him back into the fold. Yeah. And he leaned into those terms like, oh no, you're right. You're right. But the sinners are my people. So yeah. when he says, I didn't come for the righteous, I didn't come for the holy, I came for the sinner, we don't want to hear, well, Jesus is naming, you know, a sinner a sinner. Yeah. He's nicer than the Pharisees, but really thinks the same and says, yeah, all these people suck. Um, he said, no, these are my people. Because um, they're sinners, well, we're good. Like, I, this, yeah. this is the crew I came for. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think that's, that's a beautiful way to, to actually phrase that. Um, and I think it's, 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 yeah, as you said, it's interesting that the, that's the language that they brought to the thing. And I think it also, it also works in the way that we imagine how the scene plays out. I think, cause like the way that I've heard this scene kind of talked about within the Christian imagination from the tradition, at least I grew up in is this is pretty much like the Pharisees being outside the party, heckling the party, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this is being publicly done, but I, I would say that there's a good chance based off of uh first century near, you know, Middle Eastern culture um, that this would have been, um, kind of somebody trying to pull up and be like, hey, I'm just trying to help correct you so that you don't shame yourself because, mm -hmm. it, you know, in an in a honor shame culture, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, I feel like this is Jesus turning. It's like, well, this, like, like you said this. And so, da, 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 da. so I don't even think that Jesus ever once addresses the quote unquote sinners and uses the language sinners at this, in, in, in the midst of this story where, the, where, where it would have been a vocal thing for them to hear. 
it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a it's the background conversation it's the back room conversation saying it's like hey why don't you guys just ease up like come like i i feel like jesus would be like come enjoy yourself or get the stepping because y'all ruining the vibe <laughs> you know what i'm saying uh, no because yeah yeah the way i've always heard it it was it was always like there's a party going but we all know jesus wouldn't do nothing like that so jesus is sitting there sanctimoniously above everyone and steps out like the crowd parts a little bit like the red seas reimagined he goes Oh, my children, please come be with them, the heathens, and we too will show them the more pure way. But as we read, and Jesus is leaning into their weaponized language to be able to say that these are the wrong people, almost in my head, it's like Jesus has his arm around one of them and picks up a beer and just kind of cheers them and goes, hey, like you said, you can come in, you can go home, but enough of this nonsense yeah man we like we expect jesus to show up as you said like in that in that holy sanctimonious way um but he shows up like kendrick lamar being like please don't kill my vibe i can feel your energy (laughs) from three thousand miles away (laughs) you know what i mean uh like he comes in with a totally different response and i think it's beautiful and and, and dope man um Mm -hmm. and 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 also just i just wanted to jump back a little bit because i just had a thought based off of what you asked in the beginning around the notion of mutual conversion um, and, and, and I think we see these difference and it's going to step a little bit outside of the story, but it comes back to the story. I think, um, that like when we see Jesus in multiple scenes within the gospel narratives, like this is Luke, Matthew, like this, like, like all the gospel narratives, we, I think we, we see this notion of mutual conversion happen continuously. And I think one famous one that I think is really hard for people to wrap their minds around because Jesus actually changes his response is when you have, whether it's Luke or, 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 or Matthew, it changes Syrophoenician or Canaanite woman that comes up and Jesus is like kick rocks. And she's like, but even, even, you know, even, even the dogs get, you know, crumbs off the table and, and you see Jesus actually reconcile himself to, to this woman, to her position, to where she's at. And it's like, wow, you're, you're there. There's a faith that he, he, he taps in and calls out something beautiful in her in the midst of something that was pretty, I have no other way to say it, but a pretty bigoted statement. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So we actually see this idea of mutual reconciliation of, of, of repentance and mutual reconciliation play out in the life of Jesus. Um, and I think that's the, that's the thing that's happening at this table with, with Levi is that this may have been outside of Jesus's comfort zone at first. Who know, I don't know, because we don't actually have a story prior to this where Jesus is showing up in this way. And so for all we know, like you, you know, I mean, obviously we're making we're making assumptions. I'm making assumptions as I say that, but I, I like to imagine, at least in as I, as I'm thinking about this narrative, is that this is Jesus is is just as likely to change his mind, just as likely to repent and show up in places that he may not have shown up before, or associate with people he may not have associated with before, um, because there's this level of growth, right? It's like like in the in the brave space litany that we that we recite every single week, we have a right to start somewhere and we have a right to grow. And if we're following Jesus into the midst of that, Jesus started somewhere. And we also have to believe that Jesus grew as it went, as, as, as the story progresses. And I, and, and otherwise, I was just gonna say, otherwise, the only time we see growth in Jesus is when we imagine Jesus coming back within, especially in our, within our tradition as like some warring king. It's like, yeah, he was meek as a lamb while he was here the first time, but the second time he grew into himself. He got he got grumpy, bro. He you know it's been a couple thousand years. You get older, you get tired of nonsense, so it comes back with the stick. That's what happens. Yeah, it's like you know when he was younger, he couldn't hold a sword, but watch him now. Watch him now. (laughs) 
Um, and, and I really look like, especially with the Matthew Luke parallel, because Luke uses Syrophoenician, which was a real people group for the time. And so it has that notion of Jesus responding, actually being affected by the words of a Syrophoenician woman saying, you can't reject me because I too belong to this world and this life. In Matthew, it changes to Canaanite, which is a people group that have been gone for centuries, but connect to the, the sacred stories they have coming in. So in that act of being affected, Luke says, look at the people bringing together now. Matthew kind of throws the net back and says, throughout sacred history, God in Jesus is bringing all ends through time and through location to say that there's a way forward that we all share a table. And again, like this whole series has been about, this was about a, a shared table and the woman yeah. coming to the table saying, do I have a place at your table? Does my child have a place who needs help? Yeah. And like you said, Jesus was affected by her words. At first she said, should I give the, the food of the children to the dogs? And she's like, yes, but even we deserve to eat. Exactly. And I think it's like, it's that progression of Jesus learned to accept Levi's invitation is why he could also learn to accept the Syrophoenician woman's invitation later on in the story. Right. Because again, it is also Jesus being called out of Jesus's mm -hmm. space of comfort into a place of discomfort. And then Jesus automatically, like, like there's this, like, you know, and maybe this is the divine presence part of it. He automatically adjusts to find himself comfortable with the disenfranchised every time. And I really um, like the reciprocal response here that often when we think about going out like in, in this um, open circle space to where you're going out in places you don't control. Um, this is where a lot of language comes in about um, safeguarding yourself. Don't get too close because your friends can affect good habits. And they quote Corinthians, I believe it is, that bad company corrupts good behavior. Um, and we get a bunch of boundary settings. But Jesus inviting Levi into his life had to be matched with equal response of accepting an invitation into Levi's life. So when G Jesus said, come, be a part, because again, there's no point of him saying, follow me means come to a Sunday message, come to a Sunday gathering, come to temple, come to synagogue. It was come walk with me in the day to day. He said, that's yeah. great. Then let me get all my people of my day to day and throw a party and yeah. you come walk into my day to day. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. So I think it's a great transition point to, to step into the next question, the next head question. And that's what changes when we let go of controlling a situation and enter into reciprocal relationships. So, so Glenn, man, actually, as we ask that question, man, I got, a, I got, a, I got a, a question that I want to kind of, I want to sneak in there and get your thoughts on before we kind of fully dive into that question. What's the difference between reciprocal relationships and transactional relationships? So, when talking about what kind of relationships we hold, it. Transactional gives you power over something to demand. So transactional, oddly enough, um, in some marriage counseling books that I've read, there was one that gave the weirdest advice. It said, start trading um, romantic favor in order to train your husband. And it kind of blew my mind because transactional says, well, if me as the husband did something good, I should be rewarded with something romantic to help train me. Um, and that becomes currency and trade. And you actually get power over because when I do something I now should expect from. Where recip reciprocal, just like when we're talking about marriage, it flows out of the response to the other. 
So when you're invited into the person's life, you invite them into your life and it creates this ebb and flow that you don't get to demand, but you should be aware of the experience. If it's always you inviting that person into your life, you're never being invited into theirs, it's, it's becoming one-sided and transactional. If it's, I invited you, therefore you owe me. If it's creating this sense of indebtedness, then again, we're getting power over. And those are the kind of things that we're trying to look at here is when we let go of the control of outcome to be able to say, what does it look like to exist in that ebb and flow to where sometimes I'll give a little more, sometimes you will, when we have a bit of this a responsive nature to the other person in the relationship. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And the reason I, I wanted to ask that question was I think that that, that answer, it, it answers that like answering that second question question answers the first part of this question like what changes because the controlling controlling the situation means that we're usually making that situation transactional that relationship transactional it's like i invited you to this thing so you will have to invite me to this thing right and so it's tit for tat versus um reciprocal relationships it's like man like like I experienced this i, I would also love to experience your world and it, it, it becomes about letting go of power and actually becoming into a place where you have mutually a mutual divestment of power and control to actually be in a situation where I would say it actually opens up the world of possibility. And that, and, and when we, you know, and, and you know, we, our favorite philosopher, John Caputo is like, you know, potential and possibility. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a ballistic missile. It, it could be for good, but it could also be for harm, but letting go of control in that situation like you know also it opened up like what we see in this story we actually see it open up like on one side it opened up a can of worms that maybe jesus didn't wasn't quite ready to open up when it when it you know with the pharisees and things like that um it opened up some a different relationship with him because obviously prior to that like they wouldn't show up and say and try to warn him if they didn't think that he was one of them at some point do, do, mm -hmm. you know you know what i mean so like like that reciprocal relationship that letting go of power um, and opening them and opening Jesus and the, and Levi up to, to new possibilities, it, it came with like there was beautiful potential that showed up, but there was also negative potential that showed up. And I think we need to be aware of that, that when we step into this like notion of reciprocal relationships and being present at the table and being present with the disenfranchised, it's not all roses at the end of the day. Like there is the potential that shows up and it could be for good and it could also be for bad. But I think as we follow Jesus, we're not saying like Jesus, uh, well, like, like all of a sudden the, the gospel song, Jesus be a hedge all around me <laughs> popped up, but that's actually like, like that, like as beautiful as that song actually is. And, and sometimes we, you know, we actually, we need to think of Jesus as, as protective. Um, but if we're going to follow Jesus into the wilds, we got to remember we're following Jesus into the wilds. The wilds is not a protected space. Yeah. But, and in these moments when we're, if we're following Jesus into when I hear wild, um, what I'm hearing is just uncharted. So uh, at least it doesn't have to be in my mind, the chaotic. So if your life is stable, you're not going into the wild, but more the- oh, Yeah, no, 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 I, yeah, exactly. When I say wilds, yeah. man, I'm just meaning into the unknown, to uncharted, um, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're going off the beaten path. Yeah, uh, and with that, like, yeah, cause, um, when you have a directional, when you have a transactional, you always know what to expect. You, you always can say, well, if, if I do A, you'll do B. This is just the way it has to go. But when we get to sit in this um, unprecedented place to where, and again, remember um, this reciprocal nature, 
wasn't between equals. And for this time period in history, reciprocity only existed between equal people to encourage social mobility. So if I was recognized with you, it would raise my standing socially, not being recognized with you, lowering me when everyone starts whispering, hey, you're with the tax collector. So, so in this, this reciprocity, this reciprocal nature has to exist in kind of more of an open-ended, like uh, you said, that notion of this, the unexpected as projectile that's gonna cause us to move or might just hit us in the face. That in, in that notion, we're gonna meet people, we're going to expand, we're gonna be in the spaces we don't control, but sit in to be able to experience the hospitality of those we would have called graceless. We're gonna experience the touch of the divine and the table we, that we would have probably rightly sided with the Pharisees and scribes saying, this is not the place to deal with the divine. And yeah. it's gonna be in those moments of reciprocity where we sit with the graceless, with those who are not touched by the divine in these moments of table that we get to experience that we're guests with Christ at Levi's table. No, that's beautiful, man. Um, so I think maybe it's a great time for us to transition to the, the heart question. Um, and, and, and it says this, because I think it's going to push us to, to, to look from, a, from a, the, other, the other side of the coin, in a sense. Um, the Pharisees questioned why, why Jesus invested his time with sinners and shunned the holy people, or sorry, and shunned holy people. In what ways are we more like the scribes and the Pharisees than Jesus? One, I don't really like identifying with the scribes and the Pharisees, because even though historically they're the good guys, they always feel kind of icky in the text. But if we're being honest, that's probably where we fall in line with most of the time. And I know for myself, um, in what ways do I line up more scribes and Pharisees than Jesus? It's usually when I try closing the table or seeking control. So I'll enter into spaces and, the, and then start doing that thing. Um, like we all have that awkward relative who demands that we do the new historical thing, uh, which is praying before meals, which is, is a late addition to Christianity. And so even though most people at the table don't pray, they'll stop everyone from eating. Get the food out of your mouth. You stop, you stop. We're gonna pray and they're just really hoping we're in public space and you're not embarrassing. Um, that it's those kind of moments. And I have my own way of doing that. My own people that I embarrass, my own people I shut out. Those are when I'm usually siding with more of the scribe and Pharisees and how I understand myself. Because I think I hold on to the right. I hold on to the exact. My way of understanding is the truest way. And so I will coercively push it on the people around me. You will live by my standard and my understanding rather than mm -hmm. me sitting with you and it becoming a shared space. When I, when I think of this question, um... I have to like un I have to unpack the question a little bit. I have to unpack even the characters a little bit, right? Because like as you said, like often we when we read these texts, we see the Pharisees and the scribes, and be like, oh man, they're kind of icky people, man. Like <laughs> as you said, but they're actually the they're actually the good guys. They're they're actually the people who are 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 historically, you know, they 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 have tried to 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 honor God the best that they can, right? Um, and we have to remember that that Levi is a tax collector. He is a collaborator with the Roman occupation of, of Israel. And so I can't help but then like, like like begin to start drawing different comparisons to other stories. Like, 
Um, I don't I don't know if you watched uh the movie uh oh man, it's the one about Fred Hampton's uh the, the biopic about Fred Hampton, uh Judas and the Messiah. Um and in, in that in, in in that story, that narrative, and it, like this is this is a true story, is you have an FBI informant that infiltrates the Black Panther Party, who are the obvious good guys, right? Um, but where 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 the story with Jesus changes is that instead of instead of like instead it's like, well, hey, FBI informant, like we know you're an FBI informant, and we still want to invite you to our Black Panther Party. You, you know what I mean? Like that, 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 that is a switch up because for me, I, I, I can identify with the, the, like with Fred Hampton and Black Panther Party and being like, okay, we are an oppressed people fighting for our liberation. Um, and now this collaborator, like, this is the guy you're going to sit with. This is the guy, like the, the guy that, the guy that is actively participating in our downfall. Like, yeah, it's like, man, you're freaking crazy. And, and, and I think for me, I think when we unpack when we unpack the story and actually say let's let's assign the rightful um, icky levels to the different characters because Levi is actually the the bad guy in the story, right? Like as far as the Pharisees would understand it because he's collaborating with the occupation, um, and Jesus says, "No, I'm going to show up at that table anyways. I'm going to be present at that table." And when he shows up at that table, like they're they're like. It wasn't with the expectation that Le like it's like I'm going to show up at that table only because Levi is going to change what Levi's like Levi does. It's like I'm going to show up at that table, and when you create space and you hold space with other people, it creates the possibility for something different to take place. Like Levi could have walked away from that party and be like, "Hey, bro, thanks for showing up," but we also have Le like Levi or the math like Matthew in the different Gospels, who is this radically transformed, different person actually, who who actually then gives his life towards a different idea of liberation liberation that, that that liberated the oppressed and the oppressor you know what i mean so i don't know if that makes sense but that that's that's my best thought at the at the question no, no um it made sense especially like when we can bring it into a little bit closer i mean we're still talking like 60 years ago about oh no not anymore yeah about 60 years ago um but 50, 50 bring, years ago 50 years ago um when we bring it into the closer historical moment yeah and especially for levi who would be one like you said siding with so it's it's not even it's one who gave up hope there's no generative possibility there there was no future that you could live into except for that which you grab with your own hands so you you have this decision to make with the colonizers that are tearing through the holy land to say i can either try to exist with those who are waiting for a time that might magically appear, we don't know when, or I can make sure my family eats because it's usually from practical means. I'll make sure at least my people, my household, those connected to me will have something. So yeah. I'm going to side with power. I'm going to side with force. I'm going to side with Rome against Jerusalem by collecting money from those like me. And it, it shows this lack of hope to where you get this moment of, um, the scribes and Pharisees saying, you've actually harmed the community we all belong to. And so this calling together looks like a different way forward because both of them, the Pharisees would say we need to draw tighter boundary lines and those tighter boundary lines, which would probably be how Black Panthers would have responded is like, we had a rat in the organization. We had somebody informing on us. We need to double check everybody because yeah. we have informants with this oppressive governing power trying to harm us yeah 
And you have this gentleman just saying, I'm just trying to survive. And I got caught by governing powers. Mm. And Jesus's way forward is like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. But we all have to sit at this table. And that created generative possibility, like you said, for the gospel of Matthew, for a tax collector to say, what other ways can I live? Because it's not like Rome left. So the world didn't change suddenly. But he said, how do I live in this world, this real tangible flesh and blood, Roman soldiers still run our streets world, but in a way that creates generative potential for tax collectors and Pharisees to sit at the same table. Yeah, I really, I really like what you were doing with like the way that you played through that scenario. And it, it makes me think about the early church. And like we talked about this uh, in one of the conversations, in one of the continuing the conversations about the history of, of, of the Eucharist within, within, within the church. And you had this infiltration of government agents into the, into the church in order to tear it down. And the church, instead of instead of uh, doubling down on on opening the table, they actually closed the table. That was the first time where no, where it wasn't an automatic assumption that you had a right to the Eucharist. You actually had to be an initiate. You had to be someone who walked through certain hoops in order to be allowed to to, to show up at the table. Um, and I think that is it's just interesting when, when like the way that you the way that you brought through that juxtaposition. It really actually highlighted because I think like my answer before was like we actually don't. How, we don't know what they should have done necessarily it, it's 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 a hard situation but i think when you actually bring it in light of how you just how you just framed it um the church like, like the church's response should have been a doubling down on we insist that the table is open you, you know what i mean and I, again this is not a ju- like this is not a judgment to say like those people like you know 17 1800 years ago man they're a bunch of screw-ups it's 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 more to just say that we have to be really careful about the ways that we allow fear to drive our narrative versus the anticipation and hope that uh, that, that a new thing is possible, right? Like, cause if we're following Jesus, I think there's always that that notion that we, we shouldn't be following Jesus out of fear. We should be following Jesus out of hope. And I think that's what this story, that's what the way that you unpacked it right now actually brings us to is that it's, it is scary when you show up at the table with a government informant, that's a scary place to be. But we're going to be committed to the open table because we believe that that government informant can be transformed into a, into a, into a brother or sister or into kinfolk in a sense into somebody that has a destiny that goes beyond that current moment, if that makes sense. It, it does, and it brings it back to where the question was: In what ways do we align up more scribes and Pharisees than Jesus? It's those times that we let fear drive the narrative. To where we say, um, and we need to remember, like when we say fear, it, it's not the ridiculous, it's not the absurd, it's not, I will not be scared when I'm jumping off the second story of my house. Like, it, I will not, not be scared of, I'll be, I'll, hey, <laughs> I will not be scared of the COVID, vi- the COVID pandemic stuff exactly. because the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is my vaccine. And I was vaccinated on 1984, October 23rd at 4 p.m. So good thing didn't happen at 359. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It, it's not the it's not the absurd notion of no fear. It, it's it's not the someone tries to steal your car at gunpoint and you're like, well, I have no fear. So I will harm someone or be harmed by it. This is I'm not scared of the people that where God can show up. Yeah. I'm not scared to say the informant, the tax collector, which can actually do harm to me. 
is a place that grace can be revealed, that they're not graceless. They're actually a place that grace will be. Yeah. And then their table, not mine, Levi's table, the informant's table is going to be where we go to the party. Yeah. And in that, when we default from there and say, I can't go to that table, I can't be at Levi's place, that I need to purify, I need to close ranks, I need to be run by fear because then God will stop hating me, is when we fall into the Pharisaic lines because they, um, there would have been a common belief that God was absent from Israel at the time. And because they've walked far enough away. So there is this desire to purify, to create holy, to, to close the ranks, to make sure that we're holy enough for the divine to come. But at yeah. least for the way we read the story of Jesus, when the divine comes, transgresses all the lines, does not act out of fear of being contaminated, but actually fights to make sure everyone can be present in it. And those are the moments when fear tells us we'll be contaminated by including, yeah. when the LGBTQ are too far to include. Um, one I was just in a conversation with recently when we we're talking about people being around that are different and they immediately went to, they're gonna be pedophiles then. All the children are gonna be sacrificed because you let somebody in the temple. All the children are gonna be wounded because you included people from the LGBTQ community. It's mm -hmm. that fear that turns us to scribe and Pharisee. Um, it's not, it's not a question. It's not a question that is on our list of questions, but I think it's one that, in light of just in light of where you went, uh, it brings because it brings up something I feel that's very fresh for us as a community. Is like when have you like the question of when have you found yourself ostracized, or criticized, or even kicked out, or shunned? because you included the wrong people, that you were present at the wrong tables or you were willing to be present at the wrong tables? Three days ago, uh, a, I will use no names in case somehow magically people hear, but a person um, put up a very erring post on a social media site. And I just responded like, hey, that's actually not very historically accurate. And you're doing a lot to erase um, the black experience in America. I was like, this, this is revisionist history to get to American exceptionalism. And they hit me up privately like, hey, do you wanna like, you know, come over and have a cup of coffee with me? We should you now catch up. When I went over, all of a sudden he stopped and said, so what, what trauma did you experience that you're running away from Jesus in the conservative church? And I was like, like wait, what? He goes, well, I just need to know, when did you get lost? And it turned into a four-hour meeting of trying to do word games with me to reconvert me because this person knew me when I was 17. And for anybody who's known me a long time, I apologize. Circa 96, Glenn, does not agree with present. Neither does Circa 2000. 05, 2010, and sometimes 2014. I'm getting pretty good with staying consistent with myself in the last few years. But there's there's this notion, he's like, yes, I knew you in 97. He goes, and you've lost your way. And the reason was because I was saying more people need to be at the table. And I was saying, we need to listen to more histories than just our own. And when he pushed on that, he's like, no, 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 you're getting corrupted. Yeah. And I can say it was out of concern though. Like 
he he wasn't moving from maliciousness just like the pharisees coming in at the edge of jesus table saying hey do you know that you're with the wrong people like this wasn't a move that was cruel it wasn't a move that was trying to harm he really thinks that he's trying to save me yeah no that's good that's well the situation is not good but thank you it's a good story thank you for sharing that story <laughs> um yeah because i feel like it's just something that, that like i've been wrestling through that question because i don't want to walk around with a um everybody is out to get me mentality uh but it is very much it's very easy i think to find ourselves in that combative place um which i think a lot of those types of concerns are are born out of right like it's it's this combative place that says if i don't make my stand here uh they're going to run us over they're going to take us over they're going to dot 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 they're going to corrupt our agenda or whatever you want to say you know you know what i mean um hmm. and i think it, there's a there, like it's there's a genuine concern for you personally as a person um but i also think there's this notion of like we still like we need more soldiers in the good fight idea as well like so if we lost you as a soldier well dude you're you're you would have been a good soldier so let me let me try to get you back um because there's this fear i think of of this there's there's this overarching fear narrative that, that takes place and what i've been wrestling with in that reason as i said i've been wrestling with that for my own self is that there's been some things that have happened in the last little bit um in the last few years in regards to being uh ostracized or or removed or like the language i don't even remove this maybe too strong like but you get what i'm saying like I, i'm just trying not to give details in, in the mix of it too much um based off of uh, off of that idea it's like you are present at the wrong tables you are allowing like you're not you're not trying to control the table like one of one, one of those removals in a sense or dismissals or i don't know whatever language you want to put there came up like it's like carl you're not you how, where's your preaching moment how come you're not like in the middle of this event that you created this thing that you've created um why do you not get up and preach like like you, you know you know what i mean and it's like well if i did that it would ruin everything because that means i'm trying to control the space it would ruin it um and it's like there was no imagination for something that wasn't a coercive space Right where we could we could trick people into being present as long as as long as and it was okay as long as we preached the quote unquote gospel to them, um, and and my unwillingness to do that uh, then led to a parting of ways. You know you know what I mean with this with this particular organization, but when I when I when I when I think back on it, especially in light of in light of in light of the story that you were sharing, I think there's this overarching theme that connects these kind of stories and and, and the people that that are doing the quote unquote rejecting at the end of the day yes it comes from a good place because like they're 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 concerned in a certain way but at the same time it also comes from a deep place of fear that our agenda isn't going to be pushed in the way that we that we feel it needs to be pushed you know what i mean our agenda is going to be co-opted or taken over and so for you uh it's being taken over by some sort of liberal conspiracy for me it was allowing those uh, unsaved um folks to control the time why are you not why are you not allowing the microphone time to be used for the gospel um you know you know what i mean but there 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 was yeah. there was a there was a fear that their agenda wasn't going to be the one that was pushed and and i think that's 
like a very going back to the to to, to what we talked about in the in this in the second head question about traverse like transactional versus reciprocal reciprocal shows up into those spaces and says i'm going to allow hope to to, to to dictate the terms going forward um transactional says i i need to be in control because i fear what i can't control i'd push it a little farther for that is like reciprocal has to respond to the people holding space so um because we were putting on those events together it's like if if we would have turned those into kind of a strange altar call um we would have not responded well to the people in front of us yeah. who were having um actually they're they're having divine moments they're they're having moments of insight inspiration and collaboration but I, i'd say to me that what's pushing that story that was experienced there and the one that I just got to experience a couple of days ago is the fear of change. And within the Pharisaic and scribal understanding, yesterday was better than today. Tomorrow is something to be scared of because we can't quite control it. We don't know what's coming. But with Jesus sitting at the table in between the tradition received and the hospitality of Levi serving with all his rambunctious friends was an unknowable tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And he said, and here is that moment of grace. Not that I control the table, but that I can participate in the hospitality of your table. Yeah. And in that moment of hospitality of receiving and reacting to, we, we had new potentialities that we could step into. Jesus created a new way, not by enforcing rigidity, but by having just enough flexibility that you could sit at multiple tables and like, like you said, even with that story, those who are comfortable in yesterday want to be able to control what tomorrow can be. And yeah. so we're very uncomfortable with people gathering and they couldn't recognize the points they wanted to see. In the same way that we become the Pharisees when our comfort dictates the table. When Jesus showed up and said, I'm sorry, you know, basically, I'm sorry you're uncomfortable, but you can join me at Levi's table. You just can't kick Levi away from it yeah no that's good man yeah like, like I I don't know if I'm taking this from somebody else or if it's a phrase that I don't know exactly where it comes from but the notion that uh the past is nothing but a tainted memory sometimes it's tainted positively sometimes it's tainted negatively but that idea that the past is nothing but a tainted memory it's it's, it's vapor it's nothing that we can actually hold on to or get back to and so the more the sooner that we're willing to let go of our need to make the present like the past um the, the sooner that we actually realize that the future is constantly being pushed into this present moment and if we can embrace that i think then we can we can embrace that notion of hope versus versus the fear that things won't be like they were yesterday um yeah man unless you have something Oh, go ahead. No, no, that was just profound. And I was fighting my um, ADD impulse to be like, that sounds a lot like Kung Fu Panda. Yesterday is a memory. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that's why it's called the present. But <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't draw I wasn't drawing it from Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> but, but yeah, I always love that scene from Kung Fu Panda, though. So it, it may be it influenced me. Um, it just that you had a good moment there like don't glen just glen don't don't glen it it's like let the weight sit yeah 
Well, good thing this is this is the continuing the, the conversation podcast um, portion of what we're doing. So it, like I'm going to include that because it's fun and it's funny. And I <laughs> laughed. And so other people should laugh. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but oh, go ahead. Well, no, you just you just brought it into such a good place is that and I think that's the promise of Christ at the table that we're sh- we are guests at Levi's table. And we're learning to hold space that way by saying, how do I become a good guest at Levi's table? with Jesus, but the promise of Jesus being present means that the unknowable tomorrow isn't something to be feared. It's not something to rally against. It is something to be experienced. Mm -hmm. And so when we feel these times that are drawing us back into narratives of fear, narratives of control, narratives of, of scarcity, to where we better secure our borders because, you know, they're just flooding in. They're going to take all the resource for the good people. Um, when we have these narratives, we're not actually stepping in with Jesus. Yeah. Because wherever we stand on the political spectrum, philosophical spectrum, religious spectrum, where Jesus sits is a generative space where there's more than enough room for all the people willing to be present. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I think that's a great place for us to like jump just to the hands question. I think you're already in the hands question. <laughs> Um, and the hands question is this, how do we show up like Jesus at the tables where others invite us to share space? Um, and I think you're, 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 you're naming that, right? Like we show up, we show up with hope, uh, instead of fear, we show up, uh, with reciprocity instead of coercion. Like we show up with, we show up with a divestment of power versus an investment into it. Right. Like I think like like all these different things are points that we've pulled out as we've had this conversation. But I think that's how we show up. Cause it, when other people, especially when other people invite us in, into their space, into their homes, into their t- into, into their tables. Um, like when you show up at somebody's house, you don't show up at the door and be like, you know what? I see that you guys take your shoes off, but forget y'all. I don't want to take my shoes off. You, 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 you take your shoes off. That's the house rule. You take your shoes off. When you show up to the table, you don't demand to be served first, but I guarantee if they're good hosts, they're going to offer you, offer you that, you know, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. when we show up, we allow the space to be the space and, and, and we allow the hospitality to be the hospitality without making demands of that space, without making demands of the hospitality. And I think that's what it means to show up like Jesus right like even even when you, you, we see other stories of, of jesus sit, like lounging and chilling and relaxing and we have this this notion of jesus is sitting back and allowing it like it's very passive he's allowing all these different things to happen around him and and then and then almost making commentary as they go along as other people are worried about different things you you, you know what i mean mm-hmm. um like you have the story of mary and martha um it's like you're worried about a lot of things and, and i feel like it's a juxtaposition to being like look at me i'm just chilling be like me. <laughs> well, and you get a similar thing when um, Jesus is getting, an- his feet are anointed just before he's going to be um, arrested and crucified. And he's, he's sitting at a table with a tax collector who, um, however we heard his inner thoughts, the narrative, the narrator in, I think it's Luke knows it, and said he thought to himself, if this person was a prophet, he would know who was touching his feet. You mean Pharisee, not tax collector. That's a tax collector. You said tax collector. Well, but, but fair, Pharisee. Pharisee yes. is the word that was in my head, but nevertheless, he said, "If this, if this man was a prophet, he would know what manner of woman touches him." Yeah. And so Jesus didn't even check that, and he, he said, "Oh, this this woman's coming. I, I'm going to let her do her thing." 
Um, like you said, Mary and Martha, same thing. Levi's table, same thing. Um, Zacchaeus's table, same thing. He kind of shows up and like, man, I like what you guys are doing. <laughs> like, like, I like what you've done with the place. Yeah. Write me in. I like what you've done with the place. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Armani? Let, let me come take a closer look. Yeah, it's like the only time we see Jesus taking control of the table is actually his last supper when he makes sure to and, the, and, and the temple <laughs> yes yes um i'd say making a cat of nine tails and being like y'all made me mad um was but, but, again, but, but again that like this is my father's house jesus is like dude you will not disrespect my house i make the damn rules in my house <laughs> and it's it's that also that notion of reciprocity is still there because he exactly. reacted to the energy of there because energy is relational. He came into the spot, the vibe was off, the energy was off. Um, and you had a certain group that was like, you know, basically legally we're allowed to, to mess this area up, but it's, it's not really ethical, it's not really kind. And he came in like, yeah, that's not cool. Just because you're allowed doesn't mean you're able. I was like thinking of America since we're having this big fight over living wages it's legal to starve your employees. You know what it isn't? Christ-like. Yeah, so. exactly. You were about to make another comment that I completely sidetracked you on. I apologize. You were, gonna, you were talking about there was one table, his own table at the Last Supper. So let me, let, let me push you back to that space because we are go, we, I'm, I'm seeing it go around like this and this and this, and there's a rabbit hole and we gonna figure it out and then come bro, back to this an hour bro, later. I just wanna let you know, we've never done this around a rabbit hole. We go, Head first every time. Well, I was doing more doing like the spirally thing going downwards. I know, right? but we never take our so time to a rabbit hole, bro. We run and we go deep. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you're right. You did complete. I forgot that whole thing. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Where you say, eat the rich. <laughs> it's the only space that we saw Jesus actually controlling the table was at the Last Supper. When he said, I need you guys to understand something. You're here to serve. The way people hold power in the Gentile world, the way people hold power, actually even at Jerusalem um, for that scene, he's like, these ways of holding power will not exist. They will not be good. They will not produce life. And that's the only time that Jesus didn't come in and just say, I'm really enjoying what you guys are doing. When he wanted to yeah. make sure that the people who would lead the next chapter of his movement knew that the way they came in was like you said, divesting power not being like the pharisaic ones who could draw perfect lines who are for most people the hero of that time period like the pharisees and the scribes are the reason we have text so these are good people making the right choices and the right moves jesus was the rebellious one he was the one upsetting systems making people uncomfortable so when we hold space like jesus like you said, we have to hold space in such a way that those people who are creating space, those tables who are saying, come, enjoy the food, receive this hospitality, we can go in and celebrate those people, not go in and say, well, if you guys were just better, if, if I could make you more moral, then you'd be okay. Yeah. And in those moments, we'll get to experience a little bit of that grace. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's really beautiful. And I think like just to kind of come to a time of conclusion to wrap up where we're going, um, I want to bring us back around to the David Fitch quote. I want to read it one more time. We live in a world that hungers for Eucharist, 
the sweet fellowship people experience in the presence of Christ. There are countless places where people gather to seek Eucharist, and yet it remains unfulfilled. We must seek out these places and go as guests. And, and the reason I wanted to read that quote one more time was I think you were really touching on that point of hospitality, receiving hospitality, being present in the way that Christ is present. Um, but also at the same time, like I think unpacking that quote just a little bit is if we understand ourselves as the body of Christ, then we also show up as the presence of Christ. And I would say that for too long, much of my experience of the church, we have showed up as antichrists instead of Christ to the table. Well, yeah, but you point to something very real. When trying to measure, because often we try to say, how do we hold space like Jesus? How do we be more like Jesus? Or if you come from within the Christian tradition, how do we become better Christians? And with what you just said, like, there's a way of coming to the table that sounds right, that honors all the rules, but is very much antichrist because it kills generative space where other people can be involved. And by other people, I don't just mean um, like we do it by ourselves, like the, you know, onward Christian soldier kind of thing. It's just like, no matter what we do the work, but I mean, we say the only kind of person who can be involved looks, sounds and responds like me. And so we close down the potential to have people who do not see the world the way I do affect the way we voice and talk about the world. It becomes one dimensional flat. And unfortunately, the beauty of the world is in vivid color. So when, when we have this moment where we drain the color and life out of the image, because we say only one perspective can have it, then that's when we move like the antichrist, the one who goes against Christ where Jesus stepped into a world of life, color, and difference and said this was good and then celebrated experience and publicly stood with the wrong kind of people to say, no, no, you don't get it. Life is a little bit messy and I'm at the table with this person yeah. because that's what I think we always forget. These weren't private meals. When it said that Levi, he's going to throw a big banquet and then it said he got all his friends Levi made this a public spectacle and said, Jesus, you coming? And he's like, absolutely. Yeah. I'll come to the public spectacle. So no one could deny that my presence is here. If we truly believe that, you know, the, like the, 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 the world hungers for Eucharist. And I, and I would say, I truly believe that. Um, and that we, then, we, then we have to also believe the second part of that phrase is that, that we must seek out these places and go as guests. We must actually show up as the Eucharist. We must kind of walk out that language that we use for our litany of, we consume the broken body of Christ, becoming the broken body of Christ, present in a broken world. And all three of those things matter. There are gonna be spaces where we are present to one another in that, con in that consuming Christ place. There are, gonna be, there are gonna be spaces where we are learning what it means to become Christ in those spaces. And then there are going to be other spaces where we have to venture out into the world around us as good, as good news, as um, good grace, as a good gift to the world around us. 
thank you for joining the conversation. As always, we would love for you to share your thoughts with us. For more information about FOS, visit www.fos.church. That is www.fos.church. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Peace.